We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Proverbs chapter 3. Charles read to us these verses right here. Let me give you just a a way that will kind of set the tone for this. I may have shared this with you before. It was a great story about a guy named Robert McKay. He was a doctor in Edinburgh, Scotland. And... um, Raised in a good Christian family, his mama gave him, when he took off from med school, gave him a Bible and said, read this. And he didn't. And he became a heavy drinker and ran out of money. So he pawned his Bible, got him some money, bought him some more whiskey. Uh, Did graduate med school, but worked at kind of a a walk-in clinic there in uh, Scotland where he was from. And there was a fellow who came in off the street, and uh, he was uh, hand-to-mouth. He had no family, and so they probably would have diagnosed it as cancer if they could have in that day, but they knew something was bad and wrong. And uh, Robert McKay, who was a good doctor, nursed him and cared for him until he died in that clinic. And before he died, he asked Dr. McKay, could you go get something from my landlady? She said, just go tell her you want the book. She'll know what that means. And so he did. He said, uh, this fellow, and asked me if I would come get the book. He's dying. She said, oh, yes. And she gave him this uh, tattered old Bible. And so he took it to him, and he just stood back and watched. Robert McKay, the fellow who had fallen away, watched this old fellow that was hanging tight. And uh, sociologically, they were different poles but he had something that Robert McKay didn't, and he clung to his Bible, and he would read his Bible and just hold it, and he just watched him, and he watched him pass away. And according to the custom, there was no family. The attending physician could take what he had kind of as a payment, and so all he had was a shirt off his back and that Bible, and so he said, I remember this. He picked up the Bible and opened it, and there inside the cover was his name, It was the Bible his mother gave to him back years earlier that he found no need for, and he pawned it for whiskey. And it just jolted him the envy he had for this man who had a strong foundation in the very book that he had seen as meaningless. And Robert McKay, by his confession, committed his life to the God of that nameless man and became a speaker within medical circles in and around Edinburgh. And he even wrote a hymn that we sing. Have you ever sung this one? Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. How's it go? Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory, revive us again. You think Robert McKay knew what he was singing about? Revive us again. Remember that story. Our author makes an assertion here in verse 13 that it is a happy man who finds wisdom. How the word Hebrew in Hebrew, Uh, blessed can be interposed as the word happy because happiness comes from an intimacy with God. 
How happy is the man who finds wisdom and gains understanding. Finding and gaining carry a strong idea of wisdom that wisdom is not something you find within, like a philosopher or a romantic poet. It's not something you come up with yourself. It's not some scientific idea that you matriculate yourself, that it is apart from man. It is found in an infinite personal God, of whom we are not, who makes himself known in his word that we must gain and find, that wisdom is something you seek after and you appropriate it. And it is also to note that Solomon is writing this in the Camelot of Israel's history, David Solomon, when Israel was the mightiest nation on the earth. And yet he still regards the next generation, he writes to my son, that just because you are well off as a Jew does not mean that you're there yet. That each and every Jew must seek God. Even though they have a temple before them, a Jerusalem before them, a heritage behind them, a Bible, circumcision, all the feasts, all the festivals, that you must go deeper than the symbols and find the God of your culture. Is that true with us? I don't care if you have been dipped as a baby. I don't care if you've been baptized as a youth. I don't care if you've gone through Awana and Heritage Girls and Sunday School. It don't matter. You and God have to deal with each other. I grew up in a family that I had, uh, well, see, I got converted at 22. I'd had 22 Christmases, 22 Easter's, 22 uh, Thanksgiving's. I had gone to church at times. I had, it, I had uh, my next door neighbor worked for Word Records. The first guy to put Bible on records. Uh, my best friend was the son of the coach of Baylor University. My other best friend was the son of the pastor of First Baptist Waco. I was raised around Christians, and I didn't know Sikkim from come here. I really didn't. And that's when I heard the gospel for the first time. I could have just as well have been from Borneo to hear it the first time. I had to deal with God. If there was a kid that could have skated through on his culture and his parents, it could have been me. But God had to break me. Amen? So, how many are here under the age of 30? Raise your hand. Okay. God's going to get you. <laughs> okay. Verse 14. Parents, do I speak sober truth? Yeah. I don't care who you are. If you're little Martin Luther, the monk, you got to deal with God. If you are John Calvin, the lawyer who as a young 21-year-old could write Calvin's Institutes, you got to deal with God. And so he says to, his, to the reader, you are a blessed man that encounters the Bible and makes it his own. And verse 14, here's why. Because wisdom is the greatest possession in all of creation. Her profit is better than profit of silver, better than gold, more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire 
compares with her. Do we instinctively know this as children of Adam that nothing will compare with the knowledge of God? We don't know that. And God has to alert us. Question, can you be powerful, educated, brilliant, handsome, talented, wealthy, famous, popular, and full of pleasure in hedonism and still end your life tragically because you do not have the knowledge of God? Yes, you can. The testimonies are replete. And it's because even though you have all of these things, what you don't have is a perspective of reality. You don't have a moral standard to guide you in choices. You don't have answers to the vital questions. You can know about matter, mathematics, and materials, but you can't know about meaning. You can answer the what's, but you can't answer the why. You don't know about God, the origin of creation, the nature of man, the nature of evil, the, the nature of good and of truth and of morality. You don't know where the world came from. You don't know where it's going and you don't know how to get there. And so you're in the dark over the big issues. That's why a fellow named Plato once said, as you go through life, you must hold to the best opinions of men as to a ship in a storm, unless you have a more certain word of God. That is the ultimate philosophic thing. John Paul Sartre, atheist, Frenchman, of course. He once said that unless there is an infinite reference point, what is the only infinite reference point we have? God. Nature won't work. Unless there is an infinite, personal, moral, righteous, loving reference point, all other singular points are meaningless. You can look at all the dots, but you can't connect them. Unless you have a book from God that begins with the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Now you can start from that point. And so, if you don't have a divine revelation, you can encounter and trust to give you moral forks in the road. You're in a heap of trouble. And the Bible gives you wisdom, and it leads you to the ultimate display of wisdom that is not simply ink on the page, but flesh and blood in the child, the boy, the man, the Savior, the God-man. Jesus Christ, where God comes down and speaks humanese to us. And so, in verse 16, he says, let me substantiate. Nothing compares. Long life is in her hands. She will give you safety. Now, the Proverbs are principles. They're not promises. Uh, they are general facts through all of life. And long life is in her hands. You will not be shot breaking and entering. You will not be, as one of my childhood friends, whose father was also a coach at Baylor, not the other one, who decided he would rob a, uh, uh, a drugstore to attend to his addiction and got shot in the face. You can do better than that. Uh, you will not go through a series of marriages because of an uncontrollable temper. You will not pour vodka through your liver and toast it by the time you're 50. Uh, 
You will not overdose. You will not be thrown into jail for pushing meth. Uh, you will not go over the yellow line drunk and kill somebody and we put you away. And so life becomes a lot easier whenever it is lived under the auspices of God. And so long life is in her hands. And in her left hand are riches and honor. I remember once writing Billy Graham. He gave a book away called Words of Wisdom. And I sent for it. And I would mark in the, I was a pagan, all right. But I would mark in the book anything that looked like you could rub it and the genie would give you something. And so one of the things that I circled was in her left hand are riches and honor. Uh, in other words, God will give you success because wisdom corresponds to the truth of what is there. Do you want to know how to be married? See who invented it and get the, the what do you call it? The creator's instructions. Get them from him. You want to know how to be a man or a woman? Go to the creator. And so God corresponds. It's not that God came up with an arbitrary idea of what would be life. Life reflects him. And this is the way you do it. And so if you follow God, you follow in the way of light. Just like if all of a sudden the lights went off in this room and it was total pitch black, the greatest commodity in the world would be a match or uh, a, a cigarette lighter, buddy, I believe you, <laughs> or a torch or a cell phone with a light or something like that. You would now, because when you're in the dark, you don't see the world as it is. You're challenged by reality, what you hope is reality, but it may not be. The first thing you will hear if the uh, lights go out is me walking off the edge of this thing and you will hear a loud crack. That's my head because I thought there was substance there and there was not. I stepped out boldly and confidently. Does boldness and confidence equal safety? No, not if you are boldly confident in what ain't there. And that's what I would do. But if one guy came up with a light, he would be the master of the place because he could show you what is really there. And we wouldn't be having demolition derby between everybody trying to get out the door. And that's the way that wisdom is. You can now live with life as it really is. You know, they, they always say that back in the 50s, that is when America began to make its move from the Judeo-Christian idea to secularism, atheism, and liberalism. It started in the, guy wrote a book, a matter of fact, on the post-40 world, 1940s, and it was simply called The Permissive Society. He said it started there. And the, the, the shows that you used to see on black and white, anybody with me? Where they were crime shows where justice would prevail. Perry Mason, all right. Uh, the Defenders, uh, Dragnet, just the truth, just the facts, ma'am. Uh, Naked City, uh, what was another one? What? Hawaii Five-0. Buckham Dano. They were all solution shows to give you comfort because we were producing beatniks and hippies and it was getting scary. And then they started having, remember 
Westerns, which are basically crime shows with, with dirt, okay? There must have been 10,000 Westerns of a Bonanza, a Wanted Dead or Alive, uh, Gunsmoke for 20 years, uh, Sugarfoot, uh, Cheyenne, Head them up, move them out, move them out. Head them up, head them up. Clint Eastwood, Rawhide. They're just, and movies. John Wayne made a career. Randolph Scott made a career because it was going back to a wild time that was being settled by old virtues. What kind of hat did the hero wear? White hat. Kiss the girl, right off. So it was always, sometimes you kiss the horse. And that was really an embarrassing movie. But that was the way the movies were, because good would conquer evil and settle. There would be a guy with a star right here, and he would bring truth to an unyielding land. And then we went to the 60s. You know what the 60s did? It had the same kind of show. There was a show where the hero is the most watched show in American history. It said that there is never a time since the 1960s that show has not been running. It was a town that was the hero called Mayberry, town of virtue. And it had crazy people from Gomer and Goober to Barney to whatever, to Floyd, to Otis. They were just crazy people. And they would get cross of Mayberry. And then you had the priest was Andy. And he would come in and he would restore truth. And he could do it in 22 minutes without the commercials. He was the greatest counselor that ever lived. And Andy would bring truth. There's also another thing you need to know about Andy Mayberry. Everyone in the show was single. Did you know that? That's why there was peace. <laughs> was Andy married? Aunt B, Barney, Helen, Thelma Lou, Floyd, Gomer, Goober. Otis was married, the town drunk. And that's all. <laughs> Obviously, Opie wasn't married. Uh, Ernest T. Bass wanted to get married. Uh, Charlene wanted to get rid of Dud Wash, her husband, to be happy. Uh, everybody was single. I'll just leave it right there. <laughs> Mayor Pike and Mayor Stoner were married. Nobody liked them. What am I talking about? Oh, uh, yeah. But there was truth. Still, it's my favorite show. I can play all the parts. I can tell you the script. And then we had a show that was moving as we, the world went toward the deep in the 60s called the Beverly Hillbillies, where you had a woman on the strong conservative right. What was her name? Granny. You had a guy on the strong conservative left, Jethro who didn't know whether he wanted to be a trolley car conductor or a, uh, a double knot spy. And then you had a man in the middle and he was the priest. You had Mr. Drysdale, the capitalist that was trying to encroach and Jed warded off the evil. Jed Clampett would bring Granny and Jethro together. And the victim they were both trying for was Ellie May. 
because she wasn't sure which way to go. She was a blonde, if you recall. <laughs> and then we went from there, and they, they, we got into the 60s, and the network said, and I quote, cancel every show with a tree. We're done with simplistic answers. We've gone into a different place. And now it was Twilight Zone and Star Trek that would go outside of you to find answers and they would parody the answers out there that you could see right here. They went outside of man. Isn't that interesting? Nobody planned that. It was just, we were in desperate search of truth. They gave way to uh, laugh-in and the world came to an end at that point. And so they just say, that long life, riches, and in verse 17, it'll be pleasant. There's safety and success. There is sweetness. How many of you have ever heard of a painter that painted serendipity, light, and sweetness? Nathan, Nathan or little Nate, you got something there? Remember Thomas Kincaid? He painted light. Everything that he painted, there's no people, but there's nothing but the harmony of man and nature and beauty. You've always got a home with light and fireplaces and people within that are happy. Isn't that interesting? And that's what, that he's so well sought because everybody is looking for Kincaid that picture. Well, in verse 18, he explains why it's so pleasant because wisdom is a tree of life. Where do you see that introduced? Genesis. God makes Adam. God alone is immortal. He provides for Adam immortality. You will live forever, but you have to believe me. You have to trust me. And you have to take from what I offer you from the tree of life. And I have also arranged a test, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where you get to be God and know good and evil by yourself. This is the tree of life. And the day you eat of this one, you will surely die. Life and death. You make the call. And so man receives the word of God, kind of like a sacrament, it's given. When Israel has a feast to remember redemption, it's Passover. That someone dies and you eat, just like the tree of life God gives out of himself to you. In the New Testament, we have the Lord's Supper. This is my body, this is my blood, the bread of life. And so you receive it as a gift. In the eternal state, Revelation 22, there's the water of life and the tree of life. Whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and I will sup with him and him with me. And so wisdom is always something that you reach out and you take and it's a tree of life. As a matter of fact, one, I believe it was Spurgeon who said that of all the senses that we have, they're all objective. You see what's there, you hear what's there, you touch what's there, you smell what's there but taste, you experience it. You become one with it, either bitter or the sweet. And thus the Bible will speak of fellowship with God as a meal. 
that you taste of the Lord and see that he is good. Like newborn babes long for the pure miracle of the word that by it you may grow. If indeed you have tasted the kindness of God. The Bible allows you to experience truth. To internalize it and it becomes part of you. And it's happy to those who hold it fast. Because in verse 19, God's word is in keeping with the entire universal wisdom. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, established the heavens. So whenever you look at those science specials about a flower, about rock strata, about the planets, about the fixation of the stars, and you shake your head because of the Galileo-Copernican-like laws that we discover that govern it, uh, the author says that's God, that the universe that you see that will feed you, that you can take plants and you have teeth that will cut it and grind it and mulch it and saliviate it. Is that a word? All right. Put saliva on it and we'll let it go down. Your, you know what esophageal, what uh, peristaltis is? You know, Job. You can't just swallow like a pipe. Okay. You have a action that does this and takes it on down until you get sick and then it takes it right back up again. It's marvelous. Your stomach, I was a phys ed biology minor, okay. You can take your stomach, it has what's called rug eye. Am I right, Joel? Folds. It's like a soundproof room. A soundproof room is a soundproof room because there's more area in there than you think. It's like this. You can take your stomach and stretch it out and it's as big as half of a tennis court. Because you can eat. They ever look at that plate at Chili's? <laughs> How am I going to eat? But you can. Because you've got more room than you think you do. But you have acids down there that will eat through a trailer hitch. All right. <laughs> and you're going to turn it loose on the inside of your stomach. But it's got a mucus and it won't eat through it. Steve, who figured that out? Your eyebrows run uphill. Do you know that? Feel them. They run uphill. And that's when you get sweat, you siphon it off. Otherwise, if it was just hanging there, it'd be an aggy eyebrow, okay? And it would just drop down in your eyes. It wouldn't serve any purpose whatsoever. It'll run it right off. Don't email me. It'll run it right off. That's it. It's amazing. And you know what? If we had made a body... What would you have done the first time it got cut and it started leaking? And then you lost a tooth and it started leaking. And you would just have, and then you broke a bone and you were done for life. You got to figure out platelets, spell platelets. I bet you can't, but you got them. Uh, where are you going to make them? Bone marrow. Which bone marrow? Down here. How are you going to do it? And it will repair you. And a bone will repair. And uh, that's amazing how, God, how stuff will grow back like that. And so that's the wisdom of the creator and the sustainer. And he will make plants. You can't grow a plant unless you get minerals out of that dirt into that plant. And that plant has to run it uphill. 
and then take light in from its leaves. It's a machine. How are you going to get the minerals from the plant into, or the dirt into the plant? It's called hydrolysis. You got to get what's called water. And it's the priest. It will take it from outside to the inside. Then you got to make seeds. Otherwise, you just kill one generation of plants and we all die. How are you going to do that? God did it in a whim. Be. Be. Done. Good. Amazing. Well, that's the wisdom that is in the Bible. It works. Uh, give you a good example. I'm in Colorado years ago, men's ski retreat. I tend to get altitude sickness. I don't like it. And so there is a particular drug that you can take. And we had a doctor who drugged me. And so it was nice. Not at all unpleasant. Okay. And so I was, got me some Dr. Pepper that every Texan must drink. And I'm up there drinking Dr. Pepper. And I took a swig and I went, yeah, stuff's awful. I said, it must be Colorado. Something about it up here has changed Dr. Pepper and made it rancid. And so I didn't drink any Dr. Pepper for like three days until something kind of dawned on me. And I took some and I said to my buddy, Dave Norvell, drink this. He said, that's pretty good. Hmm. I gave some to another Dave Drink that, Dave Jordan. That's real good. I gave it to Jeff Dirks. Drink that. That's real good. And it dawned on me. Perhaps the problem was not the known universe, but it was me. Is that an amazing bit of wisdom? My thought was Colorado was simply, which it is, off center. Okay? <laughs> and I, as a sane man, could not expose my normative Texas Dr. Pepper to Colorado until I found out it was me. I was off balance. Once I got off this stuff and started being normal, now I enjoyed Dr. Pepper until I grew dizzy and threw up. Okay, but that's the way that life is. Life is screwed up. No, it isn't. It's you that are out of step with God. And so, verse 21 the word your is going to occur eight times. He's going to apply it. He's going to talk to you. Number one, it can't vanish from your sight. You can't graduate it. Who in here is under the age of 30? Raise your hands again. You don't graduate truth. You don't graduate God. You deepen in your knowledge of him. Don't leave it. Don't leave it behind like Dr. McKay and grieve over it. There was a guy years ago, he was the editor for Christianity Today. Billy Graham decided that in the 60s and 50s, evangelicals were departing from truth. They would be evangelicals, but they were Amish. They would live inside their quarantine and let the rest of the world go. We had been burned so bad by the isms of the 50s, the liberalisms, the Christians withdrew. And so you were a fundamentalist. You had a certain fundamentalist haircut. You had fundamentalist clothes, and you stayed away from people. And Carl Henry was a great author, administrator, 
And he wrote a book called The Troubled Conscience of a Modern Fundamentalist, meaning it's not right to have the truth and run. Amen? It's not good. And Billy Graham had a kind of a revelation in the night. He said, we need a magazine. He said, I even know the name of the magazine. We're going to call it Christianity Today, that we've got to deal with abortion and divorce and feminism and homosexuality and all these things. We've got to speak to it. We can't just run. And he said to Carl Henry, will you be the general editor? He said, I will. And so that began the magazine in the 50s and 60s, I'm not sure which, addressing the world that we were in that was falling around us. On one occasion, Carl Henry had to interview a guy named Carl Bart. Do y'all know that name? He was a neo-Orthodox theologian. He was better off than the liberals, but he had the idea that there was a word of God, but it wasn't found in the, through the Bible. It was in the Bible, that you had to experience the word of God for yourself in the Bible as Christian existentialism. And it was wrong. Okay, the Bible is the Bible, whether I believe it or not. You don't search for Christ in the Bible. He's there. He's not that hard to obtain. Well, Carl Bart felt different. Well, the, he came over here to the U.S. and Carl Henry interviewed him, along with a number of other uh, authors and whatever. And, and he stood up and he said, Dr. Bart, I'd like to ask you a question. I am... Carl Henry, and I am from Christianity Today. And Bart said, don't you mean Christianity yesterday? Condescending on him. You're not with the times. And Carl Henry said, no, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. I am the, author, or I am the editor of Christianity yesterday, today, and forever. Truth by its very nature is not improved upon. And he got the last laugh. And that's what he's saying right here. Don't be fooled by your philosophy and psychology and history and whatever sociology classes. Those are sciences. How can I say this nicely? Oh, I won't. Those are sciences that were conceived in sin and brought forth in iniquity. They weren't Christian that took a right or a left. They were brought forth in atheism. And so don't get fooled because it's real easy to pontificate on no morality when you're in a classroom or when you're at a bar. But once you get married and have kids and start playing Little League, now you're going to need an infinite personal God. And so don't get educated beyond your intelligence and go beyond the Bible. In verse... 22, it'll be life to your soul. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He's in your soul. He will adorn your neck on the outside. You will have beauty and respect and popularity. There will be a sense of trust because you're just a good guy. You know, at the gym I work out at, there is a, uh, a decorum whenever you work out in a gym. Y'all write these down in case you ever get there, okay? That you, you don't just walk up on an apparatus some guy's lifting on and start in there. No, you walk up, and if you see a guy standing close by, you go, hey, are you done? And the guy may say, uh, 
I'll be, there. I just started. I'll come back. Or he may say, you want to work in with me? Sure. Or he'll say one more and I'll be done. Or he'll say, nah, go ahead. That's decorum. But you just don't barge in there. Uh, if you've finished all your, uh, your weights, uh, Debbie Haven, you've been benching 315, 405, and then here. You just don't walk away. You've got to strip off the weights for the next guy, unless there's a guy that walks up. And then you say, you need this? Yeah. Well, I'll leave the weights on. See, there's decorum. And the gym is run by decorum. And one time we had a guy that came in that was full of himself. I was always going to give you a piece of his mind, which you couldn't afford to lose. Okay. But he would come in and just barge in and start grabbing weights out there. And I watched it. The gym slowly alienated itself from him. There wasn't any issued edicts. Everybody just saw what an inflexible, unkind person. We have a word for that. It's called rod, rude, reed. It means you're, you won't flex. You can't work with humans just your own maxims. And slowly and surely, he got kind of run out of the gym by all the old women. <laughs> Nobody would associate with him. I want to show you something interesting. Turn the page to Proverbs 10. Like I say, Proverbs 11. It's 10 in the Hebrew, your Bibles, it's 11. In Proverbs 11, verse 30, you see that? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. A righteous man, when you get around him, you get around life. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, sit in the path of sinners, or something in the seat of scoffers, his delight is the law of the Lord. And then that law he meditates day and night, he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in his season. Leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. I want to do business with people that are righteous and honest. I want to do plumbers that are righteous and honest and heat and air conditioning guys that are righteous and honest and a wife that is righteous and honest. Amen. Because they exude life and they become loved by people, populous. They're popular. They are in favor with God and with men. In verse 31, 30, he that is wise wins souls. That's not talking win souls in a New Testament context of evangelism, though you can stretch it. It's talking about, you ever had a person with a winning personality that your daughter brings home a guy, she's dating and you meet him and you just love this kid and you just say, honey, if he's not the one, he needs to be like the one because this is a considerate, polite, honoring, respecting young man. And there are people that just win your heart. Well, Paul said, I become all things to all men that I may by all means win some. I will be able to eat with them at the table. And so 
the author says that there is no distinction between your relationship with God and your Bible and how you treat human beings. And so if you would like to, it sounds very crass, win friends, influence people, and be popular, walk with God. Walk with God. You ever notice with Jesus, when anybody would meet him, they'd always take off to get their buddies. Andrew ran off and found Peter. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, come and see. Come, look at this guy. Matthew had a party for all his IRS buddies. You've got to meet this man. Woman at the well, took off into the city. Come meet a man. Uh, Zacchaeus, you've got to come into my home. Come on in. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, y'all sit down. Let me bring you something to eat. Everybody is fascinated at Jesus. You've got to meet him. Well, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be loved for the right reasons. And you'll notice, keep watching here, in verse 23, you will walk in your way securely. Would y'all agree if you're old enough that life is painful enough on its own? Don, would you agree with that? Life's got enough death and pain and disease. We're talking here about self-inflicted wounds. You don't have to be a drug addict. You don't have to uh, cross the yellow line and die. You don't have to ad infinitum, do all of these things that are just so painful and self-destructive. You'll walk securely. The psalmist said, I will walk at liberty for I keep thy precepts. Jesus, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You'll sleep easy. And in verse 23, your foot will not stumble. You stumble because there's things on your path that you can't see. That's not going to happen if you're wise. In verse 24, when you lie down, you won't be afraid and your sleep will be sweet. I found out a long time ago as a young man, now I'm an old man, don't do anything in life that harms your sleep. When you cheat on your income tax, you're nervous about going to your mailbox because it's going to say audit. And then there's in the corner, it'll say, we got you, fool. And they're coming for their, their money. If you embezzle, you're going to have to keep those books cooked forever and trust nobody is smarter than you. You cheat on your mate. You got to ask how you're going to pay for the hotel room. You can get the money at a money machine. It's going to show up. You sign a check, it's going to show up. On your credit card, it's going to show up. If you lie, you got to remember your lie. If you slander, you got to hope it don't get back. Uh, if you, oh, there's all kinds of things that'll make you lose your sleep. Don't do a Ponzi scheme especially if your name is Bernie Madoff. That's a true disaster right there. You're going to make off and get burned. You're going to be in jail. And so your sleep will be sweet. 
and, and 25. What it won't eliminate, don't be afraid of sudden fear and the onslaught of the wicked when it comes as opposed to if it comes. And so in all of these promises, does this assure you that if you walk with God, God is your genie and you won't have any hard times? Does it say that? It doesn't. It says, when it comes, you won't be in sudden fear. When the disciples are in the boat, when Paul's in the ship, he will be there with you. He will be your cone fide. Y'all know what the word fide means in Latin? Faith. You know what the word cone means? It's a prefix. It means with. Confidence means with faith. I can go into this saying, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He's with me. And he'll keep your foot from being caught. You will escape. Even if you're Stephen dying, looking into heaven, there is waiting for you the crown. And so Mary and Martha inviting Jesus into the home. Martha distracted by all of her work, all of her ministry. And then what happens when your output exceeds your intake is your upkeep becomes your downfall. And she says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister, I won't even say her name, has left me to do all the serving alone. I'm the only spiritual one here. Lord, you're running things, but here's what I want you to do. Tell her to get up and help me. And she embarrassed everybody in the study. Tell my sister, Jesus said, Martha, Martha. You are serving? No, you're worried and bothered about so many things. Only a few are necessary, really only one. When I come to your house, what's the only thing I need? You. You got some Dr. Pepper? That'd be good. Colorado Dr. Pepper? No. Got some Doritos? Bring them on. But all I need, Steve and Rosie, if I come to your house, I want y'all. And Rosie, if you're running around vacuuming, Steve, you're heading off to get brisket, I'm sitting here alone. I didn't come for brisket. I came for you. Jesus said, I come for you. And he said, Mary has chosen the good part. You got to get up and minister. But the good part is sitting face to face with him. See, I personally have never recovered from the Bible. I'm 71, I trusted Christ at 21, and I've never, it's like Stargate. You open it up and you're in a different universe. I can stand in the Bible and peek through it and I can see Genesis, Revelation, Calvary, the elect nation of Israel, the writings of Paul and the apostles on how to conduct my life. There is nothing that will face me in life that I'm not ready. And when I finish the book, I can close it up because now I'll see him face to face. Isn't that something? It's the ultimate book. If there were no Bible, we would dream of one. It's the ultimate book. And when you are in fellowship with it, you are in fellowship with God. And so I hope that all of you in your life that this will be the dearest thing that you have, as Solomon said. Have you ever, we need a song. We got to have a song. They sing this song, I need the Dell City, Oklahoma Flash, Kendall J. Lucas, 
I know he's here. I can feel him. I feel his presence. He's drawing close. There he is, yes. I can feel him. This was a song that uh, Bill Gaither got from 1911. The Gaither Verkel Band sang it, and they made it famous again. It's called Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. Debbie Haberman, you ever sung that? Then the song is not known, if you don't know it. Okay. Kendall, just watch the words when Kendall plays through it. better stand for that one. What do you say here? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, oh, what words I hear him say. Happy place so near, so precious, may it find me there each day. been so gracious, it has won my heart at last. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, where can mortal be more blessed? There I lay my sins and sorrows, and Comfort for each refrain, grace and comfort for each day. Father in heaven, how simple it is. Adam, I am God, all is from me. Walk with me and I'll explain it to you. I am suitable for your past, your present, for future and eternity. How simple the Savior. How simple the Bible. How simple a salvation apart from us done by God. How simple a new covenant from the outside within. How simple the bestowance of the Holy Spirit to enable us. How simple to shape us into Him. How needful to raise us to be with you when you will eliminate everything of the old and God shall be, as Paul said, all in all. Oh, until that day, Lord, when we are cut, that we might bleed Bible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.